Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach, and welcome to this edition of my vlog, where I highlight my creative journey and extract the various things that I've learned along the way, as well as highlight the things that I knew beforehand that I'm applying as I traverse the various things that I'm going through in my creativity as well as in life. And in an effort to keep this less about the coronavirus, I've decided to kind of focus more on the creative side of things. And in fact, that's pretty much what I tried to do last week. As much as I could, I wanted to stay informed and be in the know, but I also wanted to put myself mentally in a place of, okay, you know, there's not much I can do about X, Y, and Z, so let me focus on what I can do. And, you know, part of that was the the creative output I've had. And so, you know, part of part of your output is always about your input. And what I mean by this is that the various media that I did consume was much more regimented. Uh, I stayed off social media for the most part as much as I could. And I watched movies. Some were mindless entertainment like Scoob, but then I also got into classic movies that I've been wanting to kind of catch up on. So like film noir, I love film noir. And though I've seen like Sunset Boulevard, Maltese Falcon, uh, The Big Sleep and things like that, there's obviously a lot that I haven't yet seen. And so in a, in a Lonely Place, that was one, it's a Humphrey Bogart movie that I saw. Um, oh, also Double Indemnity, that's fantastic. Now I've seen that years prior, but I'm just bringing it up as, as a recommendation. Um, and it was kind of fun, you know, what's kind of fun about that, like, once you kind of deep dive, you know, I posted on, on Instagram of like, hey, uh, trying to get back into, uh, film noir, if anyone has recommendations, please let me know, and, you know, it's always very surprising who responds to what, because the influx of recommendations that I gotten from the people that I got them from, it was, it was very surprising in a number of ways, but the recommendations were fantastic, and some were like, very classic movies, like A Streetcar Named Desire, and then more modern ones like uh, uh, Motherless Brooklyn, which is the uh, Ed Norton one. I have not seen that one yet. So so I did get a good collection of things to put on my queue, essentially, and I'm looking forward to, to deep diving those. But, you know, in, in that same vein, you know, going back to the um, initial thought of it, like, you know, uh, these are these are the various media forms that I was ingesting. So that way, like, I could kind of position myself and dictate, again, the kind of just, for lack of a better term, the things that I was consuming. Like, I want to be in control versus being bombarded as I kind of put myself uh, in, in with social media where, like, you know, things were just kind of, kind of come at me. So I wanted to control the, what I consumed. I wanted to be in control of. Therefore, I could control my output a little bit easier. And to that point, you know, as far as like the creative aspects of everything, it was all about uh, breaking things down into their simplest form. You know, when when uh, you, you kind of feel stuck, you really just kind of have to go for for the milestone victories. You know, if you if you're going for like a marathon, let's say, like you want to run a marathon, well, don't your first thing shouldn't be to run 26 miles if you if you've never run a day in your life, right? This is just hypothetical in that sense, but also slash practical. You know, instead be like, okay, I want to run to the end of the block. 
you know, and then the next day, okay, maybe you run two bucks, three bucks, four bucks, five bucks, whatever, right? You, you continue to keep increasing it, right? So you want to break things down into smaller, more tangible things that you can actually attain. And so that's how I approached last week. And, you know, so I broke down what I always keep kind of to to do list, but I, I created a master, what I needed to complete, what I like, and by, when I say needed, I mean, for me, mostly of like what I want to complete for myself. So that way this week was a success. And I kept it down to, you know, just the core items. So on there was I wanted to, I wanted to work on my film and more specifically the, the film sound. I wanted to work on a script and I wanted to send out uh, query letters for my novel. So th- those are the things creatively that I focused on, right? So as far as the the film, the biggest kind of thing that we're facing in terms of the sound is the dialogue, right? Which is a huge component of it. And we had done ADR for a good chunk of it. But but it's like, how do you match certain things? And so we had to get kind of creative uh, to make sure that that things didn't seem out of place. And I actually had called up, you know, I, I, I called up, John Comerford, Courtney Stewart, Ian Kaiser, and who are the producers of the movie, and we all kind of talked about, okay, how do we how do we tackle this? And part of the first question was, well, how far are off are we? You know, it's it's, it's when you kind of give notes, it can become very nebulous of like, okay, uh, ADR feels off, and it's like, well, does it feel off by five percent or fifty percent, right? And so you have to kind of be very specific in terms of how you approach it, and so they allowed me to gain a better understanding of where we're at and how to kind of approach it. And one of the things, you know, it was was also kind of a sanity check where it was like, okay, you know, right now, no one is, no one is certain of anything. And so like, who knows when we could go into an actual sound place and redo some of the stuff that we might need to redo or whatever else, right? Like we're all, everyone's working from home. And so, you know, even my sound sound um, mixer, he and designer, he's working from his home, and so you know he doesn't have the luxury of the studio that he normally would, and so forth. So we're all making do with what we got, and so the notion was, let's just you know, let's put our best foot forward with this. Let's really go for it, and then if if in the future, um, you know, we have the opportunity to to kind of go back in and, and fix certain things that we think we can enhance, we'll do that. But but let's not bank on it. Let's instead just utilize what we have and go for it. And I think that's a good way to do it. You know, I think, you know, will there be shortcomings in this process? Absolutely. But I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, like having looked at, you know, uh, going back to the, the first thing and looked at film noir and things like that, classic movies, you can definitely tell glitches here and there, and you know they're very minor and things like that, and yet they're considered masterpieces, right? And I think too often we get down on the imperfections in the various things, when in reality, oftentimes, the imperfections that we think are there actually end up being the parts that people love. Now, I'm not saying that you should just say, F it, I'm not going to worry about X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to, like, whatever, it sounds like shit, and I'm not going to worry about it. That's not what I'm saying. You still want to put your best foot forward and things like that, but I don't know. I think it's it's very surprising, like, 
you know, to this day, as much as we try to think we understand audiences and what they'll gravitate towards, it's just not the case. All you can, all you can do, and this is, this is like the thing that, if anything, COVID-19 has taught us, is the only thing that you can control is yourself. And in terms of the creative aspects, that is the only thing that you can control. You, you can put, you got to put your best foot forward, but how is it, how it is received and so forth is completely out of control. It's a very Stephen Pressfield type of notion of like, you are entitled to the fruits of your, you're, you're entitled to your labor, but not the fruits of your labor. Uh, that's from The War of Art. Uh, other great books by, of his are like Do the Work, uh, things of that nature. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, so as far as the ADR, like one of the things that we decided upon was um, one of the actresses in terms of the ADR, it came, comes off very like tingy and, and very high pitched. And part of that, that's her natural voice. But in terms of the space that we're trying to replicate, it feels very distant. And so we said, okay, um, lower her as much as we can and that'll help it seem like it is of that space. And so we'll see you know, how that goes. Now, part of it is I, I don't know what the end result of that will be because my goal right now is to get to a full pass of the movie. And it's for a number of reasons. Number one, there's a couple of deadlines that are approaching as far as film festivals that I want to utilize this, this sound pass for, even if it's not perfect. It's it's going to be far better than what we had before, uh, so so there's that, and you know I don't want to kind of, and I also want to kind of see things in the larger context of things, right? And so we can go back in and address certain notes later, right? So that's why I don't know exactly how that note is going to actually work, but but it feels like that that's going to work because um, through through no fault of her own, she's the one that we keep getting, you know, as far as people watching it. She's the one whose ADR seems uh, too too off-putting. Like it feels very different than everything else. Um, so we'll see. You know, uh, the other kind of thing that I had done, um, not purposefully, um, but just kind of just because of the circumstances and you know the resources that I had, um, was that I recorded the ADR in my own apartment and. My apartment, you know, when whatever place you kind of record at has its own room tone, right? And that's tricky because when you're trying to match room tone to something else, if there's already room tone built in, it's very tricky, right? That hence why they record voiceovers and ADR in essentially soundproof rooms, so that way you can shape it in that way. Now, it's not impossible, but it certainly makes it a lot more difficult. And, and um, kind of that's what we're facing now. Part of it was the reason why I chose to do it. Well, because I didn't want to pay for an ADR room and things of that nature. But also, I just wanted to prove that, you know, no matter what your resources are, you can make a movie, um, you know, on a low budget and so forth, utilizing what you have. And so I, uh, it goes back to the Robert Rodriguez mentality when he made El Mariachi, you know, he now he he, he kind of did it differently. A he had very little dialogue, but two he recorded all of his ADR in the actual rooms of of where he shot certain scenes. Right, so um, if there was a scene at a bar, 
the people would go through their dialogue and then and then afterwards he would just record them because they were already kind of in their natural element they were uh, already in that performance mode so it was a lot easier to mimic what they had already said um, and I think that's a great strategy now I didn't have that luxury to be able to do that we were just kind of very like go 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 type of thing on production days but um but yeah, you know, I think I, I agree. That's a very good strategy and uh, you know, something worth exploring maybe for you. The other aspect of it, you know, I, I said this before, but like I'm really proud how the sound now is another element, just like color was, that elevates the film on another level. And, you know, even though we're dealing with this, the ADR, making sure that it matches overall, I'm very pleased with how things are. And... You know, one of the one of the things like like especially now, we're all we're all distanced, right? We're for the most part we're all doing Zoom calls and things of that nature, Skype and Google Hangouts, whatever the case may be. And you know, it it, it becomes a lot of work to make things personal. But when you really take that time and effort to make things personal, you can get much more of a better result. Like so um Edgar, who is the sound designer, I found him through Upwork. And just based on how he applied for the position, I could tell that he was a very committed, very dedicated. You know, he was going to bring ideas to the table. And what I appreciate is that he still does this. You know, he continues to amaze me and, and throw me surprises in the best of ways to this day. And so him and I, you know, while it was one thing, like, I felt like I basically gave him a lot of notes on the first pass, you know, like the first third of the movie. And I said, you know, don't worry about adjusting these changes just yet, but just kind of here's the overall takeaway. So that way you can apply it to the things moving forward. And, you know, I wanted to, I also told him like, just because like, don't, don't be fooled by the volume of notes that I'm giving you. Like I am by no means displeased with the work that you're doing, uh, you know, and again, that's where the idea of like, how far off are we? Are we 5% off or 50% off type of thing, right? And so, I, you know, we decided to, to do a video chat so that way we could kind of just touch base and things like that. And um, it was good to kind of put a face to the name and so forth and we connected. It was an overall very quick call, but nonetheless, it, it just humanized the process a lot more. And I truly appreciate that. And, you know, he's, he's someone who lives in another country and I, I think he's absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, from what, certainly by the work that he's doing, like he seems to like the movie. And so, so I truly appreciate that. And I'm very thankful to have him. And in fact, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to future projects because I want to have him involved. You know, I, much like Spielberg has various people that he works with continually, I want to develop that for myself, you know? Khalil um, is someone that has been a part of the show multiple times, and he is someone that I want to work with continually. Uh, Courtney Stewart, Ian Kaiser, John Comerford, these are other people, right? And uh, But, you know, they each have specific roles that they fill, and uh, I've not had a sound designer yet. And so now I can have a sound designer. Uh, I, I found Joshua as far as a colorist, and I think he's fantastic. So, like, in an interesting way, I'm kind of slowly building up my go-to people, and that's that's really cool to see. Anyway, shifting gears um, to the book queries. So, 
I had finished up, you know, up another pass of, of my novel and there's things to still address and things like that, but it's, it's good enough to, you know, essentially start mailing out to people. And uh, that was something that Emily and I agreed. Now, Emily is the editor of my book, another person that I found through Upwork, another person that I am just, I started developing, um, you know, a more closer relationship with. I think she's fantastic and I and I really want her you know, to be part of many things that I do. In fact, um, I had, I got her help on uh, the outline of one of my scripts, this, this script that I'm working on that I'll talk about in a bit. And and yeah, I just can't wait for her to be continually involved in the various things that I do because she brings so much to the table, even if like script writing isn't her necessarily her expertise, but storytelling is. Anyway, um, you know, her and I both felt that it was time to start creating the the novel. And so I reached out to various publishers um, that I thought would be a good fit. And now I'm also in the process of looking up literally Liter- literary agents and you know we'll see and that's uh it's kind of a new process for me but but the good news is like what i love about the day and age that we live in is you can just do a google search and you know you know how do you get a literary agent how do you you know publish a novel you know what are the steps that you need to take how to write a query letter and things like that and uh, there are so many wonderful resources and so I, I, you know, I, I binged all that. I, and, and I applied it and so forth. And you know, we'll see. I think the, I think the people that would pick up my book because I am like a first-time author certainly aren't going to be like the Simon and Schuster's type of or the Harper Collins. So you know, they're they're smaller publishers and they put out many books. And right now, especially with the way things are going. You know, I don't know where they're at from a business perspective, so who knows? You know, they might pass just based on the notion that they, they can't take on anything else right now. Uh, and I accept that. You know, I don't fault them for that. It just makes my life a little bit more difficult in that sense. But, but you know, again, it goes back to the idea of control. What can I control? Well, I can't control the, the uh, current state of book publishing, but I can control, you know, me just asking, asking the right questions, seeking out people and so forth. And again, that's all you can do. Now, the beauty is that I can always self-publish. So that's, that's always there. And kind of the other thing is also a lot of, you know, interestingly enough, I'm not a lot of the bigger book publishers have been kind of switching more to digital because you know Barnes and Noble and most like bookstores, libraries and things like that are still remaining closed. And so if they want to sell new books, most of them will have to be kind of digital uh, for the time being. Or at least that's where they're making their shift. And so if that continues to happen, well, it's like, okay, well, it's a less of a risk for them to take on a first time author, maybe, I imagine, versus you know, because they don't have to print the books and so forth. So who knows uh, how that turns out? We'll see. I don't know. It's a new adventure for me. If you have any insight into this process, especially kind of like as it stands right now, um, you know, let me know. I'd be very curious. And I think that, that a big thing that I think is true for 
all facets of the industry right now is that they're looking for final products. And so my novel, while it's not a final product, it's certainly very close. And because, you know, like, let's take it from the movie perspective. When movie theaters open back up, whenever that may be, a lot of these studios are going to want to put put movies into the theaters. Well, how do you do that if if you know you you have something that's in pre-production? You, you can't. So they're looking to what are final products so that way we can put that out into the market, sell it, and so forth. And so you know, I I see a lot of my friends kind of caught in that conundrum when they you know they're still developing projects, but it's like no, unearth the projects that that are near complete or complete that just haven't gone anywhere for you because I think those actually now stand a good shot at being distributed, you know, just the thought, you know, that's, that's kind of how I view things currently. Um, the last thing in terms of the creative process that I've been working on is the, the script. So I'm more, you know, it's kind of, the best way I can describe it currently is like, it's like eight and a half, the movie by Fellini meets The Prisoner by um, um, Patrick McGowan, which was a TV series. Um, now, that doesn't reveal much of anything. It's just kind of like the style of which I'm going for. Uh, and, you know, just because of everything, sometimes like it can be very difficult to sit down and write and so forth. But, you know, I think just in the spirit of breaking things down to their their smallest accomplishable things, you know, it's like, okay, well, let me just write a scene. Let me just, let me just work on this. You know, I have an outline, it's, it's numbered. And so it's, it's like, let me, let me at least each day just tackle a little bit. And, you know, some of the scenes are very minute. Like you would have a scene that that is literally like an eighth of a page if you know screenwriting. That's nothing, right? But it's like, let me just let me just write that one eighth of a page just to keep momentum going. Like, let that be it, you know? And just progress forward. And so that's what I've been doing. And, you know, I think apply that in whatever context for, you know, the, the, the art form that you're creating and just keep going in some small way. Like, show tangible results, whatever it may be. Just... You know, you can always revise it if it's crap, but just just continue to make a small dent so that way, you know, you, you can start to be like, okay, wow. You know, I've even though I've been working on this for, let's say, whatever, 10, 15 days, I've got, I've got three pages done. That's not bad. Okay, fine. You know, uh, that's better than no pages, right? And so just keep moving forward um, as far as anything. So that's kind of what I have for you today. Uh, hopefully this this helps in some small way shape or form hopefully it's inspiring if you have any questions or thoughts of your own by all means comment down below or hit me up on social media i'd love to hear from you at bill speed tech and um you know if you enjoy the things that i'm talking about i do various lessons throughout the week uh in terms of that that helps both in terms of your creativity but also your mindset which i believe like you can't be creative if you don't have the right mindset i just especially you know Especially right now, I think that's a lot of people are not able to be creative because of what they're facing in terms of the world. And so mastering mental fortitude is equally as important as gaining the right skills and talent. So um, all that to say, like, subscribe, follow, and, um, you know, check out some of the various episodes that I put out there for you to help you. Thank you, and I hope to see you next time.